to PS Editor's podcast. Uh, today we're talking about Trump's first 100 days in office. I'm Whitney Arana, Associate Editor, and I'm here with Jonathan Stein, Managing Editor. And the premise, I suppose, of our discussion is based on these two kinds of schools of thought of how Trump's first 100 days have gone. Jonathan? Yeah, uh, well, we're, we're actually riffing on uh, the next Editor's Insight, which is coming out tomorrow. Uh, drafted by um, our colleague Stuart Watley, associate editor, uh, and you know he identifies uh, these um, these uh, two schools. One is that uh, you know both certainly recognize the limits of uh, of Trump, both um, uh, personally and professionally coming into office. But uh, one school is 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 rather more optimistic. And I'm going to defend that school, and Whitney's going to defend the other school. The optimistic school is that he is a callow narcissist, but he's learning. Uh, he's, you know, the, that that uh, after um, uh, uh, several missteps uh, early in his administration, uh, you know, he has surrounded himself with uh, experienced people, as. Uh, Ana Palacio, former uh, Spanish foreign minister, puts it, the adults are back in the room. Um, you know, we have people like Tillerson and Mattis and, uh, you know, uh, uh, Mike Flynn, this uh, very tainted uh, first national security advisor, uh, is gone. Um, people like Gary Cohen in, on, on uh, the head of the Economic Council uh, have shown uh, some uh, pragmatism, at least. Uh, and a, a tempering influence on the administration, and most importantly, in, in, in this in this telling, uh, Steve Bannon, uh, the uh, White House st chief strategist, uh, has has been demoted. He's now no longer on the National Security Council. He's gotten into rivalry with Jared Kushner, Trump's son-in-law, who has really kind of emerged as the family conciliator. We can, if we can put it that way. Um, so, so the optimists look at this. And in addition, you know, there have been some real policy reversals as well. You know, he had campaigned saying that NATO is obsolete, and now he thinks that NATO is absolutely essential and important. And the European uh, allies are reassured. Um, he campaigned uh, on a China bashing platform. Uh, and really using uh, highly inflammatory rhetoric uh, against uh, President Xi Jinping uh, and the Chinese government, the Chinese authorities. Uh, and now Xi Jinping is Trump's best friend. Uh, comes to uh, Mar-a-Lago for a summit and, uh, and it's all bonhomie and we can cooperate and uh, He's refused to label uh, China a currency manipulator, which he had said he would do in the first, I think, five seconds of his presidency or five minutes of his presidency or the first day of his presidency. Whatever it is, it hasn't happened and it's not going to happen because Trump now says China cooperates with us. So I don't know, Whitney, it looks like uh, we're getting a kind of a normal president, don't you think? Uh, I do not think <laughs> at all. Okay, Whitney, take um, the other this, this, the other school of thought, which is what? Uh, well, you know, I don't deny that Trump can be influenced easily. I think that's very clear. Whoever's around Trump sort of guides what Trump thinks and says and does. Um, but there's a difference between that and actually learning. Um, and I think that the issue is that we continue to have to count on 
external forces, whether it be advisors or um, other legislators or courts to stop Trump from doing crazy things. Um, and the recent example is NAFTA. I, 18, 20 hours ago, the big news was that Trump was going to sign an executive order pulling out of NAFTA. And they was going to have to completely come up with new trade agreements with Canada and Mexico. Then a few hours later, it's reported that Republicans are telling him to slow down with this withdrawal. And then a few hours later, he says, no, 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 back to the idea of renegotiating NAFTA. We're not pulling out of it. So this idea, okay, yes, he did end with a much more logical policy approach to renegotiate it. And in fact, Jeffrey Frankel has written just recently about the positive ways in which NAFTA can be renegotiated and improved, um, although they don't seem to mesh with what Trump is and his administration are looking to do. But in any case, the idea is that maybe he ends up somewhere more reasonable, but we're sort of counting on you know, a court stops him from implementing a travel ban or legislators force him not to do it. Or in the case of China, it's, you know, yes, this reversal is good. And Koichi Hamada just recently wrote about this as well. And he says, um, yes, it's definitely positive that Trump is working with China and that he's looking to take a real step to stop North Korea or to, to drive North Korea to change its policy, which is something that Obama's policy of strategic patience did not do. But there still is this gap between what Trump thinks is happening and what the reality of the world is. And it impedes his ability to, to really make a smart policy, even if he maybe almost gets there or he's sort of driven there by other forces. The idea that he would be able to make a very coherent, forward-looking policy in a, in a complex situation like the North Korea, to name one example, it just it doesn't seem credible. Yeah, that's and, that, and that's I think that's exactly right. And the, and the credibility issue is really where uh, Trump falls short. It's one thing to live in your fantasy world uh, and convince a lot of voters that your fantasy world has actually some, bears some relation to reality. But once you're in power and you're actually making policy, uh, this doesn't really become tenable. And this is especially as Hamada emphasizes in foreign policy. You know, when you say that an aircraft carrier group is heading to the Korean Peninsula, Korea, South Korea and Japan are really going to want to see that that aircraft carrier group is in fact heading towards the Korean Peninsula. Their confidence um, in your uh, leadership is going to be diminished if that aircraft carrier group is in fact heading in the opposite direction 3,500 miles away, uh, around 5,000 kilometers for, for our non uh, North American uh, uh, listeners, uh, and and that's exactly what happened. So you know, Hamada rightly says, you know, if if uh, Trump is going to be more credible, then the then then the gap between his imagination and reality has to close. The other thing that, you, that I think you said that's very interesting, and it highlights something that that we've seen a lot of. You know, the optimistic school counts on this idea that this confrontation with reality is basically is going to cause Trump to um, 
rein in his more populist instincts and a lot of the things that he campaigned on. Uh, and I'm not so sure that that's true. I, I don't think that, that, that uh, the first hundred days bears that out. I think that this populist instinct is still very, very strong. And the thing that's constraining him, that's preventing him from realizing it, or A, as you rightly pointed out, Whitney, that the courts, uh, but B, also the Republicans in Congress, you know, they, they, they've gotten him to, um, uh, you know, to reverse himself just in the last 24 hours on NAFTA, or at least to dial back his stated intention to withdraw uh, the U.S. from NAFTA. But the other big one where they've constrained him is the wall, which was really the centerpiece of his campaign, right, was that we're going to have this great wall, beautiful wall on the border with Mexico. Um, and uh, it, it almost it almost went to a government shutdown over this because uh, Trump wanted this in the spending bill. I uh, wanted a short-term spending bill to build the wall, and the Republicans in Congress refused. Uh, and I mean, which would have been amazing. You know, we had these government shutdowns when you know under divided government when the Republicans were running Congress and Democrats in the White House. It happened under Bill Clinton. It happened under Barack Obama. Uh, but for it to happen. You know, between a Republican president and a Republican Congress would have been really quite stunning. So what happened? Trump backed down, right, yeah. and said it doesn't need to be. He doesn't need the short-term spending bill, and the threat of a shutdown has been averted. But at the cost of Trump going back on a central campaign promise, one of the real, you know, major planks of this of this uh, of this populist agenda uh, that that uh, persuaded so many. Um, people to vote for him. I think that he, I think that, that, that this populist instinct uh, isn't going to go away. I think it's too soon to write off people like Steve Bannon in the administration. Uh, but maybe the optimism isn't that that Trump can learn. Maybe where the optimism should be is that he'll just be constrained. He'll be so yeah, constrained that the damage the damage will be limited. What do you what do you think about that? Or is it is it is it is it he is he does he just have too much authority? I mean, there are some things that he can do that can that are really damaging, aren't there? I mean, I was I I was afraid going into this administration that his authority would sort of be able to overcome too many checks and balances. And so far, it's been kind of a relief to see the extent to which he's been pushed back. Yeah. But I do think that a lot of the optimism about his administration sort of just reflects how low the bar is at this point. You know, it's like he gives a speech where he reads off a teleprompter and doesn't say anything inflammatory. So suddenly he's acting very presidential. So there's sort of still this idea that, okay, well, he didn't manage to, he didn't label China a currency manipulator and, you know, create this huge issue between the U.S. and a country with whose relationship it depends. Um, but that shouldn't really be this huge relief. He, sh he shouldn't have had this idea in the first place. So yes, we're relieved he hasn't managed to take these, these completely crazy steps and there have been constraints put on him. But at the end of the day, it's, it still reflects a person who's trying to do so. It's, um, Lucy Marcus calls it governance by id. Yeah. And it's very much this kind of whatever he wants to do and I do think that there is a chance, and I feel a little bit more hopeful than maybe before, that there are forces constraining him to a certain extent. 
including just the global situation, he, he has to at some point figure out as he has yeah, I mean, the reverse, the, rever the reversal on China is a big one. The reversal on NATO is a big one. But, you know, he still has a lot of power with his executive orders. I mean, and he's done this on, you know, on coal and fossil fuels. He's, he's going to be allowing uh, more drilling and encouraging this kind of thing. It's still unclear. Again, there's divisions within the administration about whether the U.S. should pull out of the Paris Climate Agreement, the 2015 Paris Climate Agreement. It seems uh, it just depends on what the Republicans think. The Republicans might yeah. be able to constrain him as they have with NAFTA. Yeah. But if the Republicans are fine with yeah, and there's a big business lobby power. for for uh, for uh, making this kind of low carbon transition and and investing in renewable energies, and there is a, a concern uh, that other countries are going to get ahead in renewable energies. I think that the you know there's just the the uh, last week it was announced that uh, for the first time you know it was a big wind farm investment without subsidies. It's, in other words, it's commercially viable, a Danish company, which has been, you know, Denmark's been subsidizing this for a long time, but with a the understanding that these, what are called feed-in tariffs, are going to finally, mm -hmm. eventually be withdrawn, and this is going to be, um, uh, this is going to be a profitable enterprise. And, you know, so, so there, there are things that he can do that, uh, that, that will be damaging, but he will be, um, he will continue to be, uh, to be constrained, both by his own party, by the courts. Uh, uh, the Democrats have um, basically kept a, a, you know, kind of a united front resistance. The one thing that's, that's kind of worrying, and this gets back to what you were saying about, you know, sort of uh, this idea that, you know, he gives one speech and he's a, from a teleprompter and he doesn't have any gaps and all of a sudden he's presidential. The media loves this stuff. They are so, they, they, they just want him to follow the script, to play the game. And you, where you really saw this, and, and maybe, uh, you know, a cynical optimist would say that Trump is catching on. If you really want to be presidential, drop a big bomb, right? Fire yeah, 59 Tomahawk missiles at, at some isolated Syrian airfield. Drop the mother of all bombs, the largest non-nuclear bomb in the U.S. arsenal, on a mountain in, in, you know, in Afghanistan. And, you know, you'll have Brian Williams saying it's beautiful and quoting Leonard Cohen. Right. And, and, and... If you've uh, got a president who, who feeds on praise and you praise him for using the might of the U.S. military... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, and my and my fear is that that uh, you know he you, you were pointing out in the discussion before you know uh, he was always saying during the campaign you know what he's going to do in his first hundred days gets to day ninety two realizes he has no accomplishments and says this is a completely arbitrary uh, 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 threshold an arbitrary threshold. and also but that he was successful and the media just won't show it of course so but, he has a perfect excuse uh, of, in of, of, of course but. But you know, in his heart of hearts, wherever that may be, he 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 knows that this isn't true. So the the, the fear that I have is that he's going to, he's he's kind of learned from the tomahawks in Syria, the, the 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 mother of all bombs in Afghanistan, and that this is a time to do something uh, in Korea. Uh, you know, timed to the hundred day mark. We'll see if this happens. I, I, I actually hope that it doesn't, because all of his bellicose rhetoric, uh, and we've had some, some of our authors point this out, that um, you know, this bellicose rhetoric really uh, uh, towards North Korea, uh, 
it, it misses sort of a fundamental, the fundamental constraint on any policy towards North Korea, which is that they can destroy, the North, North Korean regime can destroy the South mm -hmm. in about half an hour. Yeah. Right. If there's any move against North Korea, any military uh, uh, threat against North Korea, they can destroy Seoul, which is I think 30 or 35 miles from the DMZ, mm -hmm. uh, and you know, and they have you know thousands and thousands of, of rockets trained on Seoul and on. On, on the south. And it's we'll, certain that nothing he does is going to be, at least now, there's no coherent strategy. So if yeah. he were to take a step, it's pretty clear at this point that it wouldn't be part of some grand strategy where he had thought about the you know, possible outcomes and how to how to deter these different outcomes. This is just him, he's, let's throw a bomb at them and then find out, but it's not part of some coherent plan. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, Stuart, our, our colleague, uh, points out that this 100-day uh, tradition goes back to Napoleon and then it was picked up again by FDR, Federal uh, uh, Franklin Roosevelt. Napoleon's 100 days before Waterloo were, you know, sort of a portrait in hubris. And, uh, and, uh, and, and Roosevelt's were 100 days were a portrait in hope in this time of... A depression and economic disaster. So, what one word would uh, would sum up Trump's hundred days, Whitney? Do you have a word? In mind? <laughs> when you said portrait of hubris, yeah, that's that's kind of the first thing I thought. I was like, wow, Trump has a lot in common with Napoleon. I, I, I mean, I think you know, jaw dropping. Is that one word or two? I, 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 it's I, it's hyphenated. I think I think uncanny. It's mysterious and uh, and scary uh, uh, at the same time. Um, but uh, there may not be a single word that can uh, describe Trump's first hundred days. There's a lot of ego. Uh, we do know that there will be um, many, many more words spilled about this presidency, uh, uh, both by us, Project Syndicate, and, uh, and, and, and many others over the next hundred days and beyond. So that about wraps it up for us. I'm uh, Jonathan Stein, Managing Editor. And I'm Winnie Rana, Associate Editor. Uh, subscribe and rate and review our podcasts. We'll hear from you soon.